I'd like to welcome you to the law firm of Shire and Ritchie. This is uh, Charles Shire, I'm one of the partners here, and um, from myself, from Tiffany Ritchie, the other partner, we'd like to thank you for uh, retaining us. And the purpose of this recording is to sort of give you a general outline of the process of a criminal defense case um, and let you know what we are going to do for you. I, I think that this is always important at the outset of a case for you to understand and um, in a sense have a meeting of the minds on the process and what this law firm will do for you and what some of the things um, are that you need to do for yourself as well. Um, so uh, one of the things that we'll certainly promise uh, in representing you is that we're going to answer your questions. Um, we're going to guide you through this process. And in doing that, that means we're going to return calls, we're going to return text messages and, and emails, uh, typically within 24 hours, but certainly within 48. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we, we certainly recommend that you do, many of the frequently asked questions are on our website. Um, some of that stuff is out there, so take a look at it. It may answer your question. Um, the next thing to do is to send us an email or a text. Perhaps the answer is something very quick. And as you can imagine, I'm sure you're very busy, so are we. So phone calls um, should be left for the, the most urgent of questions. And if you have a question that you need to um, do by phone, call the office first. And that's 309-839-2024. So in, in that, we promise that we're going to provide you advice, legal advice, um, throughout this entire process. Now, that is based on doing this for two decades and having seen your case or something like your case over and over and over again. Um, we are in and out of uh, state and federal courthouses. We've been in front of a lot of judges. We've handled a lot of different types of matters. So I think the likelihood is that we've seen your situation before and we are able to offer you some advice that will, will help you um, with the various questions that, that you have. Um, now, you are a grown adult and um, you're free to take or leave our advice. Um, you know, generally, I, I've always been of the belief that if you're going to retain a attorney, the, the, the wise thing to do is to at least listen to the advice, strongly consider the advice. Of course, you don't have to follow it, um, but it is important to listen to it because we, we have seen your situation before and our, our advice does come from a place of experience. Certainly, no two people are the same, no two situations are the same, but the advice is based on, on seeing certain things in the past. 
All right. Other than advice, um, we will provide analysis. So when we get the evidence, we're going to take a strong, hard look at it. And, and I think that this is a critical aspect of what you're paying for is that we are going to analyze statements, pictures, uh, scientific evidence, the types of things that come in, the types of things that a government would use to try to prove their case against you. Statements uh, can be from any number of types of people. It could be from an eyewitness. It could be from a coworker. It could be, um, you know, from an employee at a business. It can be from different people who in some way interpreted a series of events. And what's important when we analyze that is um, how strong their, their statement is. What is it that they bring to the table? In other words, if it's, let's say it's a robbery case and this is the store clerk and the store clerk says that someone came in with a, uh, a ski mask on, um, you know, so they couldn't provide any analysis as to what the person's face looked like, but they certainly could provide analysis of eye color, height, what the voice sounded like, what other clothing they were wearing. Um, if they've heard that voice before, you, you know, that type of stuff. So, you know, when we, when we analyze it, we're trying to decide just how strong the evidence is, either, you know, for an acquittal or how strong a government case is for a conviction. So, we're going to provide advice, we're going to provide analysis, and then really that third part is we provide advocacy. And advocacy is, is nothing more than representation. We are going to represent you, we're going to present your side of the story. We're going to, in our advocacy attempts, make sure that the process is fair to you. We want to make sure that your side of the story is told, your side of the story is developed. Now, that may lead to a couple of different things. It, it may lead to an acquittal. It may lead to the case being dismissed. Uh, it may also lead to a plea deal that is better than what you had before you retained us. So it, it could just be a variety of, of different options. But through the uh, advice, through the advocacy, that is going to create... Um, the, uh, the options, we will, we will present those options to you. You will receive those. We'll say A, B, C, D, um, that these are the variety of options. We will give you the pros and the cons, and we will make advice that, um, in our opinion, you should do A, B, or C. Go to trial, uh, or you should take a plea, um, any number of uh, different options, but we're going to lay that out and we will have an explanation for each of them. So let's talk about the general outline of a criminal case. So after a person is arrested, usually that first time that they are in court is for a bond hearing. So a, a, you got to go in front of a judge and a judge will set a bond. 
And, you know, that bond is typically set based on a variety of different things. Um, First, they're going to look at the offense. How serious is this offense? Certainly, uh, murder is going to get something uh, dramatically different than, say, a DUI, right? So they're going to look at the severity of the the offense. They're also going to look at your criminal history. Are you somebody who obeys the rules? Are you likely to show up for the court hearings? Um, Because that's an important aspect of bond. It it is to ensure that you're going to show up for court. And then they're also going to look at whether or not they need to protect the community. So if you have somebody who is shooting at people, let's say it's an armed robbery, well, that's a danger to society or can be a potential danger to society. So um, you're going to look at a a bond that's set a, a bit higher. So once a bond is set, and sometimes bond is set before you ever retain private counsel, and so the public defender's office is there. But once that bond is set, you can request that the bond be reduced. And in doing that, you, through your lawyers, file that motion. You have the burden. So you have to present it to the court and give them some options. And there is a statute on it. There are factors that the court needs to consider. When you come to Shire and Ritchie, we will um, walk you through. We've done bond hearings before. It's a motion to reduce bond. And in doing that, we will help you put forth the proper arguments to try to get that bond reduced. Now, sometimes we'll have clients who who are pushing for a bond reduction, yet have nobody in their family who will be able to post the money, even if it is reduced. Um, You know, and so that's one of the things you you do need to consider from a practical standpoint. If if the bond is... um, let's say it's $500,000, 10%, that's $50,000. If it got cut in half, would somebody have $25,000 to actually post? And um, so, you know, you, you don't want to just do a motion just to do a motion. You want it to have a purpose. And, and of course, reducing the bond is, is important. It gives you an opportunity for some freedom. But um, it, it's not a very helpful Uh, process if there's no money to actually put down. So you have that bond hearing. And then the next time you're actually in court on something substantive, it's called the arraignment. And the arraignment is when the court is going to present some type of formal paperwork to you that shows you what the state is charging you with. Now, Um, before that arraignment, typically in the larger counties, there is going to be an indictment. So a grand jury is going to have already met and, and issued an indictment. You are not invited to the grand jury. That is a secret proceeding. So if you are not, um, in a county that uses a grand jury before the arraignment, you're actually going to go through what's called a preliminary hearing. And all that preliminary hearing is, is for the judge to be convinced that there is probable cause to hold you over for this charge. Not necessarily hold you in custody, because you may have bonded out, but to actually have you stand trial. 
and a, a preliminary hearing it's got a really low bar um and you know, typically the way it works is a police officer or someone in law enforcement is going to take the witness stand and summarize for the court what the um what the evidence is you don't get as the defense a large crack at uh, understanding what all the evidence is it's not your trial you do not have all the witnesses there typically there's just one and it may or may not even be an officer who even worked on the investigation it can be an officer who's you know a supervisor and they've collected the reports and they're sort of summarizing it um, as the defense, you get a couple of opportunities to ask some questions about um, the scope of the investigation. You can probe as, as, as long as the judge will allow you. But at some point, the, the judges um, don't want it to um, expand into a larger proceeding, and they will put some uh, left and right parameters on you. Uh, and you know, almost always, I, I know there are exceptions, but almost always, 99% of the time, a judge is going to find probable cause and move it forward. So once it moves forward, then you go to the arraignment. If there's an indictment from a grand jury, there is no preliminary hearing. So that's just one thing to know. It depends on whether or not you're in a large county or a smaller county. But if you have a grand jury, then there is no preliminary hearing. So then you're at the arraignment, and the judge is going to hand you um, a bill of indictment, and he is going to he or she is going to ask if um, you request some type of formal reading of this indictment. And you know we always uh, uh, say no and waive it and enter a plea of not guilty. Now, some clients ask, well, if I plead not guilty at the arraignment, does that mean I'm going to go to trial? Does that mean I can't get a, a plea deal or get probation? No, it's a great question, but no, that's not what it means. Um, it just simply means at that point, at that stage in the proceedings, you're not entering a plea of guilty. Uh, at that time it, it's just the beginning and the court's just trying to find out if you fully understand what you're charged with it's your opportunity to enter a plea of not guilty and the case begins at that point if you're in custody then you have an automatic speedy trial right you got to get to trial within 120 days if you're out of custody and and you make a speedy trial demand You've got to get to trial in 160 days. Um, so you got to keep that in mind that you, if you're out of custody, if you bond out, you have to actually request your speedy trial. If you're in custody, you're going to get it no matter what, except every time you ask for a continuance, that's going to delay your speedy trial. So if um, you, if you are... Um, up on a pretrial, let's say on July 1st, and you've already been in custody 60 days, right? So you have to get to trial in 120 days. So if you've been in custody 60 days and you show up on July 1st, um, 
you got 60 days, you got to get to trial. But if you ask for a continuance, the clock will pause between that date and the next time you come to court. So in my example, if on July 1st, you asked for a continuance and they continued it out um, to, let's say, August 15th, that time period between there, that 45 days does not count against your clock. So kind of keep that in mind. Um, that is a, a continuance type situation. So sometimes you're going to see that continuances. Continuances are very common. They have to do with making sure that you and your attorneys fully understand all the evidence. You fully analyze the evidence. You've also located all the potential witnesses and you're ready to make a determination whether or not you want a trial or you want to negotiate a plea. So after the arraignment, uh, usually the court will enter some type of discovery order and the government will be required to turn over uh, evidence that they have. It's called discovery, but it's just nothing more than evidence. Once that evidence comes in, we will sit down, we'll analyze it. You get an opportunity to take a look at it as well. You don't get to have a copy of it. Under Supreme Court Rule 412, we can't give it to you. We certainly can show it to you as many times as you like. We can analyze it for you, but we certainly cannot give it to you. Um, once you've reviewed the, the discovery throughout the proceedings, there's going to be pretrial hearings, status hearings. That's typically where the court's just checking in to see how is this matter going? Are we going to trial? Is this going to be a plea? Um, your lawyers may file motions. The motions can be any number of things. It can be, Judge, we need more evidence that it appears some evidence is missing and we haven't been able to get the government to disclose it. It could be motions to um, continue, as I had indicated before. It could also be a motion to suppress. In other words, there's an argument that the evidence was collected illegally um, you know, there can be any number of, of different types of, of, of motions. It could be motions for a mental health exam if, uh, if the client's having um, some mental health difficulties. So once all those motions are resolved, then either the case is going to plea or it's going to go to trial. You know, many judges will say, look, cases have a beginning, middle, and end, and they can't drag on forever. Generally, the longer a case goes, the better it is for the defense. Uh, the shorter it is, the better it is for the government. Um, and so, you know, the cases somewhere f land somewhere in the middle. So once um, the discovery process and all the motions are done, there you have to make a decision, and that is what we will help you with in deciding whether or not the case should go to trial or you should plead. Um, there will be plea negotiations. If, in fact, you decide to do a plea, you go to a hearing to enter your plea of guilty. Um, I have done some other uh, recordings on sentencing hearings. I recommend that, that you check those out. If you go to trial, you will be found guilty or not guilty. Um, I, there are, you know, it could also end in a mistrial, but that's far less likely. But you either found guilty or, or not guilty. You could be found guilty or not guilty of one or all the charges. So you could win a couple of the counts, a couple of the charges, but lose on, on one of the counts. 
Uh, once that trial is over with, the state, if you're found guilty, the state can move to revoke your bond um, and have you in custody pending the sentencing. So that's something you need to keep in mind, something your lawyers will uh, uh, prepare you for. And then the next step will be sentencing. So uh, again, I, as I indicated, check out some of the other audio recordings and so you can have a good sense on the legal process, on how this all works. Thank you once again for retaining Shire and Richie, and we look forward to representing you and answering any and all of your questions. Uh, you can call us at 309-839-2024 or on the web, www.srtriallawyers.com. You have a good day.